She was a career working woman getting her start in New Orleans, soon finding herself in the silver mining boom camp, becoming the silver siren of what soon will be known as Virginia City, Nevada. She was around to watch the camp slowly morph into a town and eventually a big bustling city. I got someone to be my legs and make a dead man come on. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come out. Hello, my name is Summer and this is Paying For It. Today's story is going to come with a warning. I think it's for the best. True crime and history meet in today's story. I'm here to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. So today's story does cross the path of the bad and ugly. That said, we still have a story of the Queen of the Nights, that tells a part of Nevada's history. Before getting to that though, please consider following, liking, leaving a review. It helps out a lot here on Paying For It. If you're really vibing with me and my spicy takes on history, consider subscribing to watch the video versions that come out early on Sunday mornings. I have a kitten, okay? Excuse me real fast. Travis, you're being a gargoyle. You're being a menace. Okay, anyways, <laughs> how is it going? How is everyone's week going? I hope everyone's having a wonderful week. I've been playing a lot of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. I mean, ugh, it's such a good game. I can't get over it, how much I love it, of course. Other than that, really, it's just getting used to the new schedule at the pub and just absolutely loving it so far over there. And I'm super happy about that. And yeah, so sorry about the missed upload last week. It really was just a combination of everything. I'm not blaming Zelda, even though maybe Zelda had a teensy bit to do with it. More though that I just had it in my brain that I had uploaded I had it in my brain that I did it already, that I had edited it and, and put it up, and then uh, turns out she made that up. She lied to herself. What? I don't know. It just happened. Also, uh, I've never had a cat break blinds or even get into blinds or whatever, but for some reason, eh, little gargoyle loves these blinds, and now they are broken. So I have to figure out how to replace them. <laughs> uh, he's a menace to society. He really, really is. Yesterday we were eating dinner. He jumped up on to the, where the plates were, catapulted a plate of corn and shrimp all over the like place into carpet and everything. He's a menace. 
he's lucky he's so darn freaking cute okay he's like playing with cords that he shouldn't be chewing on right now oh my gosh anyways yeah that's been me this week and again sorry for the miss upload i will try not to let that happen again it was just you know a combination of me lying to myself and playing a little bit of zelda and getting used to a new schedule so forgive me <laughs> but we're back okay we're back um yeah we uh yeah the new pub's been great it's i God, my shoulder hurts some reason. Uh, the new home's been really great. Uh, I love getting to know like all these different kind of beers from like Belgium and Ireland and places that you don't often see these types of beers from. We have beers that can only be brewed from monks and just interesting beers that have an interesting history so you know history and me go really well together and yeah loving it so far and loving getting to know all the beers and yeah how fun <laughs> but other than that really that's just how i've been doing i hope y'all have been having a wonderful week we um I'm still considering doing a vlog, but I was looking into it and I just don't think there will be enough like standing locations for Hell's Half Acre. But I have another idea of an area very close to Hell's Half Acre that I have not yet touched on. And I think it would be fun to pair a podcast with a vlog. And so I have some ideas. Let's hope it all works out. If it doesn't this will the last time you'll hear about it. No, I'm just kidding. I'll let you guys know. I'll keep you updated. So at the moment, that's where we're at. Okay, that's where we're at. Um, yeah, but yeah, I hope you guys are having a wonderful week. It's Thursday, so we're almost to Friday, <laughs> even though this is my Monday. And so it feels like Monday, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. What am I saying? I am just watching my cat go crazy. He, I, I woke him up and kind of, he was sleeping in this chair, but I was like, listen, I need this. So he's now going to be like, well, <laughs> you woke me up from my nap. I'm a menace to society now. So if he gets crazy, I'm so sorry. Anyways. <laughs> all right well with that being said you know what time it is grab yourself a cocktail a mocktail a coffee whatever you fancy today i got up early i went to menace what did i tell you he's a menace with these blinds no siree no, sorry. Can you just relax? Mm -mm, he cannot. I went to Dutchies, got myself a large because I felt like, you know what? She needs one. So today we are drinking a Dutch Bros caramelizer. Hello. Yes. Thank you, Dutchies, for just being here. Just being here for me. <laughs> and yeah, whatever you've got today, I hope you're enjoying it. Cheers, cheers, cheers. And let me introduce you to the menace to society because he's making loud noises. Travis. Okay, you distracted yourself. Anyways, cheers, cheers, cheers. Let me introduce you to Julia Bullitt. Um, Oh, I should have mentioned this is going to be a quickie because this one, the story is not very long, but yeah, a little quickie, you know, to get us back into the groove of things. It's going to be a good one, though. 
Born Juliette Bolette on January 19th, 1832 in London. Not too long after that, Juliette and her family moves to New Orleans in the late 1830s. So fairly after she's born, her and her family pack up and off to New Orleans they go. Uh, little is known about her time in New Orleans, though some historians state that this is most likely where she started her career in the sex trade. Um, because, you know, we know a little bit about New Orleans. And let me tell you, they've always had uh, a melting pot culture and uh, definitely, definitely had a huge history for working girls. So this that was kind of like the place to be if you're one of the places to be if you're a working girl. Okay. So it is highly speculated on that Julia gets her career started in New Orleans, but eventually she is going to move to California sometime in 1852 or 1853. So Juliet finds herself in California at around the age of 21 to 22. Here she starts working in the mining camps that were spreading within California. And uh, this is like... This is around the time that all these like gold mines and California was popping off in a different way than what we know of it today because it was rich in minerals. So people were like popping off, you know, they were getting there, doing their thing. And all these like camps of men around California were sprouting. Okay. So. Yeah, this was um, so much of her time in California is, you know, well, a mystery to history. But we do know that Juliet was a working girl in California and she spent a lot of her times traveling throughout the camps uh, working and working in saloons and dance halls and by herself. We're not really sure if she worked the streets or in a madam's house. We just know that she was working as a vice doll in California. And so she's doing her thing for a while in California. But around 1859, the discovery of the... Here I am going to butcher this name. The discovery of the Comstock Lode went public. So when the news of the Comstock Lode, which was the name of a silver ore that was discovered under the eastern slope of Mount Davidson, a peak in the uh, Virginia Range in Virginia City, Nevada, which is now Virginia City, Nevada at the time. I believe it was part of Utah. This was the first major discovery of silver ore in the U.S. And it was named after American miner Henry Comstock, who, you know, you guessed it, found it. So this information goes public, which causes a mass movement of men towards that area, of course, in the hopes that they could get their hands on some of that silver. 
This was the historical get rich fast scheme because everyone was going. Ugh, I love when you press the wrong button. Anyways, everyone was, all these men were moving to this mining town this camp it wasn't even a town at the time like this was just a mountain that someone found a lot of fucking silver in and so everyone was moving in the hopes that they would be able to get their hands on some of that silver because if they could then they could make it big and in this time silver was a lot because this was the first time people were really finding this and so yeah it was a, a hot commodity and it would you would get a very rich very fast so everyone was moving there to get rich fast pretty much and when I say everyone I mean all the men were moving there this was just a town uh, this was I, I keep calling it a town because eventually it will become a town but this is just a camp of men going there in the hopes to find money or find silver to turn it into money you know yeah, so a lot of men, and I mean a lot of men, were moving into this area that was said to contain silver. But mind you, this was a location that didn't have a town, nor really anything. But that did not stop the men from wanting to make that money and making it their home anyways. Men by the masses were pitching tents, digging coyote holes, they would sleep on the bare ground, whatever it took in the hopes that they would get their hands on just some of that blue stuff, okay, which was the silver. Juliet is in California, and California, San Francisco is actually very close, to, and that's where she was in San Francisco, very close to this new mining camp, okay, and she hears about this new discovery of silver ore, and she's like, hmm. You'll find me there. So she packs up and moves to the mining camp pretty much right away. And she starts to do a little mining of her own if you get my drift. Okay. Arriving in the mining camp that is now Virginia City, Nevada, Julia is one of the only women in town. Some sources say that Julia was the first and only woman in the camp for a while. Although that is highly debated and is pretty unlikely due to the fact that there were villages close by like Dayton, Johntown, and Silver City. Those existed, which also held women and saloons and vice dolls so most likely she wasn't the first but she was among the few to be in this camp town okay uh because mind you this is a camp where people are sleeping on the ground or in like dirt and or tents this isn't somewhere that has a hotel there's nothing this is like nothing it's a camp <laughs> so there's not like general stores so as a woman or even just as a man going there you're you're putting in your mind like I'm giving up a lot of amenities to go to try to make it big and in her way she is still going to try to make it big she just didn't give a fuck about the silver she cared about the men who are finding the silver okay so it is pretty safe to say that julia was one of the first 
and among the very few women there in the beginning, at least. She arrives in 1863 and sets up shop and she works alone out of her own house. In the beginning, Julia was dealing with just the lonely men of the mining camp. However, as time went on and big money was to be found in this camp, slowly the, um, uh, this camp morphed into a small town. Buildings started going up. People started building houses. They were no longer, not everyone was uh, willing to sleep on the ground anymore, you know? In the beginning, though, Julia and the other women of her profession were pretty much treated like the queens they are. The money most likely was really good at this time. And that's because, you know, a lot of people were uh, striking it in the silver and coming out rich for it. And they had money to blow. Just like many of her fellow women of the night, she was very, very charitable and was always willing to lend a helping hand. She, you know, was very charitable with her time and money. Julio was pretty friendly with the firefighters of Virginia City. In fact, one of the only known photographs of her, which if you are watching the video version, you have seen it, uh, is her standing next to the number one fireman's hat. And we'll get more into that later. She was known to respond to many of the fires that could and would break out in the mining um, shafts. Is that what they're called? Mining shafts? <laughs> she also was known to work the brakes of the hand pumpers, which I don't really quite know what that means, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the mining carts, if I had to guess. <laughs> Making her a well-known and liked woman around town, she was pretty popular among the men, not only because of what she sold, but also because of how helpful and kind she was and giving, you know. She didn't just stop at that, though. During the many flu epidemics of the city, she would help men tend to their illness, including feeding them soup in this, like, soup line. She, uh, was not afraid to get her hands dirty. A lot of women would be willing to donate, but Julia was willing to get in there and wasn't afraid to touch people who were sick, which you see a lot even today. People, when you find out that you have some kind of disease or sickness, like people are afraid to touch you, even if it's like not contagious. So, um, she was really respected at this time for the fact that she was just not willing to, she treated you like a person when you are sick, you know, how kind of her. Within the five years she lived in Virginia, she was able to watch this small camp grow into a full-blown city. Soon, the men who were hitting it big in the silver trade started to build homes and shops. Those men brought in wives to the mountain town. With the town beginning to grow, they started an opera house, uh, schools for kids, elegant hotels, built 
to bring in the affluent and influential. This was started to become this town of money and riches. So what started as like this dirty camp fully grew into what it is today. However, with the new social changes within the city and the men bringing more and more women in for like wives and stuff and then them having children the outlook on the ladies of the night of course changed drastically no longer were they allowed to be treated like queens not really because the men but more due to the proper women who came in the to the town and demanded they be outcasted. So here you have these women who came into this mining town and help keep the money in this town, okay? Because mind you, if they weren't there, the men would have just gotten their money, dipped. What, what was keeping them there? Nothing other than these ladies. So of course they stayed. And uh, these women helped... The ladies of the night definitely helped bring this town to what it was, you know, what it is now. And uh, they get no respect, of course, because, you know, once these men started getting married and bringing in these proper ladies, the ladies didn't like the ladies of the night, of course. There's some, of course, there has to be a little bit of jealousy there, a little bit of uncertainty to make sure your man was not fooling around on you and the best way when you can't with their only power was to go after the ladies of the night so they really went after them and like demanded the outcast of these women and unfortunately that's exactly what happened the women arriving would make it a point to shun and outcast any woman working within the field of the sex trade, doing the most not to allow them to socialize with others, be a part of the town, or even shop around this new city that they helped put together. Although Julia was still looked down upon from the new so-called better class of women arriving, she still had friends in high places and continued to practice her trade. Although Julia wasn't someone who was extremely wealthy, as she was an independent worker and not a madam, nor working for one, like she was working for herself. She, this was like her... Like it was like a, what is it called? Um, a, <laughs> I can't think of the word right now, but it was her own, like herself was her business. And, and that was like, she worked for herself. She worked out of her own house with no one else, you know? So it wasn't like she was getting a cut of all these other girls. She was only making what she could within the town so it wasn't that she was like super wealthy but it wasn't also like she was super like this wasn't sur survival sex work for her she was doing fine she was also well liked within the community even though she was a prostitute and even when some women really really tried their hardest their damnedest their anything they could to get these women out or at least put off to the side a lot of um people also knew her and she was well known within the higher within the higher class of the society with like 
government officials and other people. So it was kind of hard to shun Julia because she had been there since the beginning. And she had no plans of going anywhere. This was now her home. She'd seen it from the start, you know. Brulette was deeply in love with Tom Parsley, who she'd met around the same time she moved to Virginia City, or maybe a little bit before. Um, it is said that he might have been the reason she moved to Virginia City, but to be honest, if she was already a working woman, she probably moved there because she sought the money, and then they met while there. He was a very popular saloon owner and the captain of the volunteer firefighter company, the Liberty Engines Number One. So that was part of the reason she was always like with the fire company, like helping put out fires because her man was there. And so, but they all loved her. The entire fire company loved her because um, she was so helpful and she cheered them on and she was always there for them. And so, yeah, that is also why one of the only known pictures of her is with that number one fire captain because that's her man's hat. And she was deeply in love with him. They were in love with each other, to be honest. They they were together for a while. <clears throat> They even made her the honorary member due to all she did for the fire squad. You know, she was like cooking for them. She like really treated them and, and took care of them. However, tragedy begins to strike when her love died, though she did a great deal for the community with or without Tom, once Tom passed away, paired with the new proper ladies of the town, they really used this to turn their backs on her because Tom, he was well respected within the community. So it kept her pretty much respected within the community. But as soon as he was gone, they used that opportunity to just be like, oh, she's nothing now. She's nobody. Goodbye. Forgetting all she had done in the past and all she continued to do to help her community. With the decline of the need for the ladies of the night, paired with also being close to uh, the age 34, Julia wasn't making as much and she as she used to, and nor was she really charging as much as she could beforehand. Um, so her money intake did decline a bit. However, she supplemented that with being a very good seamstress, and people sought her work out, um, including high-class ladies, you know, so people were into her work, and so she did both for a while. <clears throat> so Julia did walk this very thin line within the community, definitely being stubbed and shunned by the wives of many, but being around since the beginning, she still knew very powerful people who still turned to her for both her seamstress work and her sex work. So um, she was, you know, she didn't care. She let them think what they wanted and she continued on doing her own thing. So, you know, she was doing her own thing. She knew like a lot of the society was like, snobby towards her but she still knew a lot of people who um knew she was around from the beginning and they treated her well 
and she still made money both off of her seamstress work and her sex work. So, you know, she just lived her life doing her thing. That was until her untimely death of January 20th, 1867. That's right. The day after her 35th birthday, Julia was murdered in her home. Today, several reports say that Julia was murdered for her jewels and money. Although historians say that she had little of each. Mind you again that Julia worked for herself and her business as a sex worker had slowed down with the turn of the social class. So she was found in her home on North D Street with her clothes hastily removed bludgeoned by a two-by-two, then suffocated to death. That night, she had told her neighbor, who also happened to be her best friend, that she was expecting company that... She was expecting company that night, but she didn't tell her friend, like, who exactly she was expecting. But, you know, her friend knew what she did as, like, her job, so she didn't ask much questions either. Sadly, 12 hours later, that friend would be the one to discover her body. And it seemed to Gertrude, which is the friend, that the, it seemed to Gertrude and the cops that the crime scene had been staged. As the body was covered in a way that made it seem as if it, she was merely sleeping. In fact, it had fooled her serviceman that she had hired to come in and do like handiwork but he also would come in nightly to like do her fire i guess like start her fire and so um he came in and thought she was sleeping so he just was really quiet and like continued on and then left and not knowing any better so when her friend found her and the cops came to like investigate they felt that this had been staged a search of her home proved that many of her possessions were missing and even though julia was a prostitute news of her death shocked a lot of those in town it baffled many in town due to the fact that she was well liked but far from rich her home was furnished nicely but not extravagantly though she owned a few beautiful gowns it wasn't like she had an extravagant wardrobe or an extensive wardrobe so for a lot of people why they they thought this they were assuming that this happened because of a robbery, you know, but they were also like, well, if she's be if she was if she was the target of a robbery, why her? Because it wasn't like it wasn't like she was doing this for survival, but it wasn't also like she was like rich, 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 you know, so why target Julia? When Julia's estate was settled, uh, she was I hate saying this because it's like she was worth more than this, but like uh, uh, money wise, she was worth eight hundred and seventy three dollars and forty three cents, which did not cover her debt. She still had, which included about seven hundred and ninety dollars in unpaid bills that it also included two hundred and ninety one illegal fees for something 
difference and an outstanding balance for alcohol she kept for her customers which included mostly whiskey and a brandy but at a time but at the time she had bottles of ale port clarets and rum available so she liked to offer whatever you may want now mind you this was just what they sold off of her like house and her clothes that were found and stuff. And, you know, she wasn't thinking she was going to get murdered. So, you know, she, a lot of people live on credit, including back here. So it's like, this was unexpected. So if things had been different, maybe her outcome or her finances would have been different. You know, we never know what could have been. But a lot of historians use this to prove that she was just, you know, unwealthy and and that she was struggling and she really didn't have much. But that's not really the case because she had a very nice, she had a nice home with nice furnishing and nice clothing and she was doing modestly for herself and not living above her means and not living really below her means. And so, yeah, just because she was murdered and she didn't have all of her affairs in order doesn't mean that she just was out there living life sucky. Okay, that's not the case. And we won't be saying that here on paying for it. The Virginia City Police attempted an intense search for her killer, but months passed and no leads arose. In fact, the case most likely would have gone cold had it not been for a Miss Casanetra, I think how you say her name this was the wife of an owner of a small restaurant in gold hill nevada so it's a little town off to the side of where virginia uh virginia city nevada is she overhears a conversation between some of the restaurant guests who happened to be talking about julia's murder and some of the things that were stolen and just like in general you know all all things that had happened. It was then she learned about the murderer who was believed to have stolen two pieces of silk dress material from her. It shocked her immediately and she like hurried to the courthouse to report what she knew. And she shared everything with Judge Jesse S. Pitzer. Two months prior to this, she had purchased material from a drifter which she noted she'd bought off the man for an incredibly modest price when purchasing the fabric from the man she asked how he'd come to have such fine pieces he replied that it had once belonged to a lady whose husband had been killed in a mining accident so when she purchased it, she didn't think much of it. But then after speaking to these guys at the restaurant, she learned like what the fabric was and she put two and two together and she was like, oh, shit. I have that silk fabric. I bought that off of this guy. So after she spoke to um, so after speaking with Miss Casanetra, Judge Pitzer summons Harry and Sam 
Rosner. Owners of the local um, mercantile, mercantile called Rosener and Company. So these were the people who sold the fabrics to women or to companies to make the dresses or clothing. They would go on to identify the silks that they got from her, Miss Casanetra, as the ones that were sold to Julia. So, clue, we've got this lady who's claiming that she bought some silks off this drifter, and she's like, I think these silks might belong to Julia, and and this is all the information I have. So then the judge says, okay, I'm going to contact the people who sold the fabrics to Julia and see if they can confirm or deny. They confirm it. They're like, yeah, these are the ones that were sold. With that confirmation, Judge Pitzer asks that Miss Casanetra view all the drifters, vanguards, and thugs currently in jail in the hopes that maybe the men would be there and could be identified. Miss Casanetra quickly identifies a 38-year-old Frenchman named John Millens, who was currently employed at a bakery in town and spoke very little English. Millens was already in jail at this time after uh, an incident in March of 1867 he had attempted to break into one of Julia's neighbor's house. Mind you, this was after Julia's death. Um, so he attempts to drape he attempts to break into Julia's house Julia's one of Julia's neighbor's houses. He broke in carrying a knife, but when the woman inside screamed very loudly, he got nervous and took off. He was attempt he was then arrested for attempting to leave town after breaking an entry. After Miss Kazentra Kazent Kazanetra identified Millens as the man who sold her the silks. Authorities were able to search a trunk Millens' employees said belonged to him that he was being stored at the bakery. So they find out about this trunk and they get a search warrant, which maybe not a search warrant, but they're able to search it. Were search warrants a thing in the 1800s? I don't know. But they end up searching this um, trunk. Upon opening the trunk, it is said to be full of stolen possessions of Julia's. So they're like, the, we got our man pretty much. Like, why else does he have all this stuff? John is then presented with the evidence where it is said that he confesses to the crime. Case closed, right? However, he would go on to withdraw that confession shortly after he is put on trial. His trial began on July 2nd, 1867. The editor of the Gold Hill News, Alfred Daunted, stated that the court proceedings created great excitement in the city. Which 
Of course they did. Because people love to be in other people's business. And just because this was the 1800s, it wasn't any different. In fact, it was probably worse than what it is today. Um, in fact, it was worse than what it is today. We see t- today, and we see today how true crime is so very, very popular. I mean, heck, I tell you how much of a true crime fan I am. YouTube channels, TV specials, documentaries, movies. We are obsessed with it. And this goes to show you how much as a people, as humans, we have not changed because they were just as obsessed with it even back then. So at this time, this was a big news and everyone was paying attention one way or another. They wanted to be a part of it. During the trial, countless of witnesses were called to the stand. Of course, one of them being Miss Cousin Casanetra, who would go on to tell her story about the material, and then Rosanetta and company would corroborate that and explain the fabric purchased at their store was through, uh, the fabric was purchased at their store by Julia. And uh, then even Gertrude Holmes, her best friend and neighbor, would identify all of the belongings in the trunk as Julia's. So all the, the, the clothing and stuff that was found in the trunk, her best friend was going to identify them all as the stolen things from Julia's house. Charles Millen's state-appointed lawyer I'm sorry, John Millen's state-appointed lawyer, Charles DeLong, argued that his client was innocent and didn't actually murder Julia. He just took part in robbing her. His argument was that Julia was murdered by two other men and that Millen's was just asked to, like, store her things for these two guys. No big deal. Like, he just, he didn't. You know, he didn't do it. He just was helping them hold her shit. However, when Millens was pressed for more information, you know, like who these two other dudes were, Millens told the court that he didn't know their names or anything about them, actually. And so, you know, to no surprise, people were like, oh, so you're bullshitting? He was not able to provide any witnesses to even support his claim on the fact that he wasn't there, nor was he a part of the murder, nor any witnesses just to be like, yeah, these two men approached, uh, you know, he, he had no information for, he had no backup to the claim that two men approached him and he didn't have anything to do with the murder. The state rested case eight hours after it started, and Millens was found guilty of the murder of Julia Ballett, and he was then sentenced to death by method of hanging, because again, you know, we're in the 1800s, and that was still very much a thing. He, he of course, attempted to appeal, but all attempts were denied, and on April 24th, 1868, he was driven to the gallows a mile outside of the town and hung. 
According to Jansville's Gazette's June 9th, 1868's edition, so many had gathered to watch. And that just goes to show you how ridiculously nosy and just kind of like how we as a human society love to watch people be crucified because like they celebrated this even though they did not celebrate Julia. Like, <laughs> no one cared about Julia, and we'll get into that. But they just love to watch people <sighs> at their worst, you know? Even though everyone was in... <sighs> Even though everyone was invested in this murder case, it wasn't really for the justice of Julia. Had that been the case, Julia had been... Uh, had that been the case, had anyone really cared about Julia, Julia would have been put to rest in a more telling way, in a more kind way, had, you know, they really cared about her. However, mind you, the proper ladies had moved in, so when she had passed, though some felt bad for her, they still didn't allow her to have a proper burial, nor was she allowed to be put to rest in any of the town's cemeteries. I'm sorry, you fucks, that's so rude. I, I, I just... I can't. Okay. Sadly, the exact place of her final resting place is a mystery to history, but history tells us that she is buried alone on the side of Flowery Hill, about a mile southeast of the town. So somewhere around there is where she, her final resting place was. But you know, the town was all up in arms over catching Julia's murder, but it wasn't because they, a lot of it, some, some people like Julia's friend and like um, uh, those who cared about Julia probably did want to see Julia's murder get justice, but a lot of the people who were there in the crowd celebrating the death of this man who was convicted of her murder wasn't there to care at all about Julia or her justice they were just there to like celebrate in someone else's downfall and it doesn't that just show you how shitty we are as a human race because that would not change today if we were still doing public fucking executions People would love to see it. They would not know anything about the reason why he was being hung, but they would be there celebrating his downfall because people love to see other people suffer. Hurt people hurt people. And uh, a lot of hurt people in the 1800s, apparently. Julia's story is sadly is often only told because of the mystery behind her death. A lot of people call into question if the Frenchman who barely could speak English was the one to actually do it. Because what was his motive? If she didn't have jewelry and clothes and all this shit to sell, what was it that he was after? Not after talking about the victim, Julia herself, and what a positive light she was to Virginia City. In its earliest days, she was there. She was there helping those men become what they are, helping the town become what it is. How just because her job was frowned upon by the 
proper ladies who moved in, she was then tossed aside as if nothing she did outside of her job mattered. But then, of course, they used her scandalous death as a form of entertainment and to look down upon others for his hideous crimes, never looking at themselves and judging themselves, which sorry, but some of us should, you know? We love to be hypocrites, don't we? And my thoughts on my thoughts on Millen and if he really was the murderer, well, I can't say for certain, of course, because I wasn't there and this was not a time where DNA was even a thought. So, you know, evidence was sparse, to say the least. But it is kind of weird that he had all <laughs> stuff and i'm sorry but if you were on trial for murder and two men like approached you and asked you to hold their stuff i am doing everything in my possible like again he spoke very little english so maybe there was a language barrier there and he did attempt to try to like find out who these men were i'm not sure because again a lot of this is a mystery to history but if i was him i would have done everything in my possibility to be like this is what they looked like this is who where they were this you know it does seem a bit strange that he just was like two random men asked me to hold her stuff and so i didn't kill her but i helped take her stuff like i'm just saying that seems a little sketch so they probably did get the right man and if they didn't that is incredibly sad but why did he have all of his stuff so i'm gonna assume that they got the right man because again why did you have all of her stuff why would you take why would you just like why would you hold on to the someone's stuff for two random men you know it all seems sketch so it's odd that he it was found with all of her belongings even months later. It is also odd if history is true that he was already in jail for another attempt at an, on an attack on a woman in some, a house very close to hers, Julia's. Nor was he able to give any information on the other two men. So I think it's pretty safe to say that most likely he was the right one in this case to be tried though i do feel the town got it wrong on how they turned their damn backs on the woman who helped the town grow like the treatment of all of the women of night not just julia and what they did just because of what they did as a profession lovely loving to turn the blind eye on the fact that the most of the women of that town put a lot of their money back into the town and they kept a lot of the money in the town allowed it to grow to what it was it's so frustrating to see they shunned them due to silly reasons ignoring all the good they did without them what would virginia city nevada look like without without the woman of the night um without them what would it look like had they not come to work for the camp the town the city to keep the men there they helped keep the money there and they helped bring more money in it's very important to remember that without these women coming into these towns and doing their job a lot of these towns and towns' histories wouldn't look the same. So 
just you know stop being so judgmental let people be people okay julia was just another woman who was used to help a town grow into what it is today just for them to turn their damn backs on them and shun them from the town they helped build and start weird how looking into history we see that women whose society wants us to believe so badly that they were bad sick broken fallen just all around bad for society did more for the town than those in power did gave more to the town than those who made the millions from the land gave back the women were so selfless selfless and charitable but we see men have just as much money if not more be very very selfish and a lot of the men of this town who got rich off some silver weren't doing what she was doing to help give back to the city and the men in this place so in my opinion, that's the unjust. Uh, how badly we treated our women of the past just because their job was a little bit naughty. And how as a society, we will scream how impure the ladies of the night are, exclude them and do everything in their power to make them less than and dehumanize them. But use any excuse to use their tragedies to crusade others. And that's really the case. We don't want to protect them, but when something bad happens to them, we want to scream, oh, the unjust, we must find the killer and do something. Or if we're not doing that, we're blaming them for their untimely deaths. Instead of the people that should be blamed. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the hypocrite, the hypocrisy of the world. Even though Julia's life came to a tragic end, this isn't her whole story. She also was a renowned streamstress that was sought after by a lot of high-class women and even men. She was kind and willing to help anyone, was part of a town who was part of the women who came to help a town build. And even though maybe her the ideas upon it were selfish when she got there and started making that money she became very less selfish and she started helping the people in her community where we can't say a lot of the same of some of the women who came married to some of the men who gave zero shits about anything you know so i'm just saying be careful before you become too judgmental on people and their choice of work. I hope you enjoyed learning about Julia, even though her story ends sadly. I hope that more I hope that the more we learn about our historical ladies of the night, that we are less judgmental to our women who put in the work to help our towns become what they are today. So before casting judgment, think about the town you stand in today and thank the woman who played a part in helping it get to where it is now. But with that, 
I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Please consider liking, leaving a review. And if you're vibing with my spicy takes on history, I highly recommend you subscribe to the video versions that come out early on Sunday mornings. And until then, we will meet again next week where we'll go over a story of another historical woman of the night. Goodbye. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. Thank you.